hey, you're listening to Chew On That, and here's what we're chewing on today. You know, I think I finally realized this week why, in describing the context of the book of Romans, why in my explanation of the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why, I've spent so much time on the when. Why I felt the need to teach so much from the book of Acts before I actually even got to the book of Romans. And it was, for me, like Mordecai said to Queen Esther, if I remained silent at this time, that relief and deliverance would arise from another place. And that perhaps I was brought to this place and put in this position for a time such as this. And so I want to keep pushing. I want to keep pressing. I want to keep digging. And I want to continue talking about the when. Hi, my name is Pastor Scott, and you're joining us for the Chew on That podcast, where we, each week, uh, sit down and discuss um, the most recent sermon uh, from uh, the series uh, that's happening at Life Church in Green Bay. Uh, today, my guest is my friend, uh, Stephanie Charney. Say hello, Stephanie. Hey, hi. Am I saying that right? Is it Charney or Charney? Charney. I always wanted to pronounce it Charney, but oh, yeah. my husband said that's wrong. It's very French. Yeah. Ooh la la. Yeah, right. That's the only French I know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Stephanie uh, works here on staff uh, as a bookkeeper. Ish. Ish. Yeah. And yeah. But then you, uh, I, I don't know how well you bookkeeps, keep books, <laughs> but I know for sure how much I enjoy you sing because you're also on our worship team. So anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself, Stephanie. Yeah. Um, I am married to my husband for a little over nine years. And we have two little guys, Benjamin and Joseph. They are seven and almost four. Um, and they pretty much occupy all of my time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Are you from Green Bay originally? I am born and raised. Gotcha. East so, side. East side. I'm an east sider too. Yeah. yeah. West side's ghetto. Yeah. So I don't think you can say that. Yeah, I don't think you can say that. Anyway. <laughs> So uh, you went to Green Bay Preble? I did. And you were in show choir? Yeah. I only know that because uh, Pastor Jonathan was in show choir, as well as my nephew and friend, uh, Chris Eastman. And so yeah. you guys were in show choir together. Were you in the musicals as well? Because those are two different things, yes? They are two different things. Um, I was not in any musicals in high school. I feel like you could have been Belle. I feel like you have that kind of voice. Mm. I don't know. Did you not even try out for I it? I didn't. Yeah. Hmm. No. I had a lot of other things. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> anyway, that's from the <laughs> office. So did you uh, did you grow up um, as a Jesus person? I didn't. Oh, tell me about that then. Yeah, we went to church for Christmas occasionally and Easter occasionally. Hmm. And that was it. Um, but I had some friends Growing up, it's so funny when I think about my Jesus journey and all of the times that Jesus was chasing me and planting different seeds in the friendships that I had growing up. I had a neighbor who their family was super religious and I would go over there all the time. She introduced me to Natalie Grant. She mm. went to a concert and I was like, oh, she's so cool. <laughs> um, and then I had a friend in middle school and high school who went to youth programs and I hung out with them. So I went with them and that was really my only exposure to Jesus and to any kind of real religion. Um, then when I was 19 is when I started going to church on my own. Hmm. Um, right after I met my husband actually. 
And so he was a church dude. He was a sometimes church dude. Gotcha. Yep. Um, I did want to impress him. So that's why I wanted to go We to do church. a lot for love. Yeah. 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 Turned out it was the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was about three months after I started going to church that they had a choir and I wanted to sing because I hadn't sang since high school. And um, that's really where it all started for me. Interesting. Yeah. What kind of church was that? Uh, non-denominational. I see. Christian church. That's awesome. Yeah. Huh. All right. So what's going to happen now is uh, we're just going to listen to some different uh, sound bites um, from uh, Pastor Sean this week uh, in his series on Romans. And so, and then uh, we'll listen to a song and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So let's just jump right in. Okay. And because they refused to escape, it led to their jailer and his family all repenting and receiving Jesus. And as dawn broke, Paul and Silas, they're in the jailer's home. They're answering the family's questions about their newfound faith. And while they're answering those questions, the authorities come to the jailer's house and they, they come to tell him that throughout the night, they've decided that the beating and the night in jail were enough of a penalty. They really wanted to avoid another riot. And so they came to tell the jailer that these Jews that they could be released and they could be released provided that they leave the city in peace. But y'all, Paul wasn't having it. And when they came and they presented their prognosis of what would happen, here's how he replied. He said, hold up, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and they threw us into prison. But now they wanna get rid of us quietly? No. You let them come and escort us out themselves. Paul wasn't playing. He was not going to stand for the injustice because Paul knew if they could do that to him and Silas, he knew that if they left quietly, there was no telling what these authorities would do to the newfound church. And so he leveraged that injustice to ensure the safety and the protection of this new church. So I feel like, um like the term injustice is everywhere. Like, I feel like you can't get on social media. You can't watch the news. You can't have a conversation without people talking about injustice. And, um, it's not a new term, you know, it's not, you know, a new idea. In fact, you know, the, the, the Bible is like deep in the injustice thing. And when you think about like, um, like Jesus is our, well, Jesus's people are God's people, right? Like the, the Jewish nation, like they've suffered injustice, like since forever, like forever. Like there, I mean, like, like we, you know, think about like the 10 commandments and, you know, Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston and, you know, the oppression of Jews all the way, you know, through to, you know, World War II and Nazi Germany. And even today, like we, I just had a conversation with a friend of mine, Rabbi Matt, and like, it kind of felt like, you know, for the Jewish people anyway, like, I mean, are anybody, is anybody really anti-Semitic these days? I mean, it was semantic, anti-Semitic because yeah. there's semantics and you can be anti-Semantic. And I think that means something completely different than anti-Semitic. Totally different. Anyway, he said, yeah, totally. Like he said, I remember uh, being at like a youth camp or something at a Christian youth camp. And like the boys that were in front of us kept dropping pennies on the ground to see if I picked them up <clears throat> because like one of the, I guess, racial slurs against Jews is that they're money grubbing and that they're cheap and that they, you know, are all about the money. And I was like, that's just amazing to me that happens. And I'm wondering, 
So like if you had to paint a picture, Stephanie, of like suburban white mom, I feel like like you're suburban white mom. So stop me if you think I've got that all wrong. Uh, like, no, it's st- the short hair, isn't it? Well, I mean, like, I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with it, but I mean, your kids will play soccer, won't they? <laughs> yeah. You have a minivan, do you not? I don't. Oh, I got rid of it. I got gotcha. you. So I wanted to get rid of that image. Is it an SUV? It is. Okay. Is it black? It's white. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so I feel like, but like you went to Green Bay Preble, right? Which was, I mean, I mean, it's, it's a diverse school, but still pretty white school. And so like, I wonder when you think of injustice, like- what have you seen? Like, what do you, like, how does, how does that resonate with you? Or what makes you, you know, like, how do you react? Yeah, I'm a people person and um, I'm really empathetic, I guess you could say. So if I see other people hurting, it just hurts me. It hurts my soul. So I don't have a ton of personal experience with injustice. I don't, I don't think. Um, but when I see friends and neighbors of all races and creeds and ethnic backgrounds um, being kind of chastised for those things, it's painful. Um, but that's really my my only experience with it. So it's hard for me to talk to it just because I don't know that I have anything really personal in there. Do you find that, that you, I was just in another conversation and uh, we were talking about, we were using the term Indians, Yeah. right? And, uh, I pulled from Seinfeld. There was, there was this, uh, episode about Indians. I think it was Seinfeld anyway. And they referred to them as dots, not feathers. And so like, I, that's like, that's on the tip of my tongue at the front of my mind. Right. And so I just like, I just dropped that. Oh, you mean dots, not feathers. Right. Right. And so like, I know that's how I felt about myself. And I've, I've said that since that episode of Seinfeld or mad about you or whenever I heard it. Right. Anyway, I remember using that. Do you ever catch yourself? Are you more aware of what you might say today than you maybe were six months ago or something like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just said that. Or I can't believe, you know, or that I used to say that. Yeah. I mean, I think we all are. And if you're not, then you might've been living under a rock for the last couple of weeks. Um, I would say I grew up in a household where my mom and dad were not very conscious of those things. Mm. So I grew up hearing a lot of the slang things or the the terms that people would say that are not politically correct. Yeah. Um, and I still to this day, I try to correct my mom on those things. Um, but yeah, she doesn't listen to me. Right. She's going to keep saying whatever she wants to say. But um I think because of them speaking that way, of my mom and dad speaking that way, I, I've always been really aware of that. I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anyone. Like I said, I'm a people person. So, uh, and I'm super non-confrontational. So I really just want butterflies and rainbows and to say those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, I know it's going to hurt butterflies nor rainbows. No. Yeah. You know, my mom, uh, when, if she's telling a story and she's referring to a black person, she'll call them a colored person. And then this colored lady comes up and I'm like, mom, you can't say that. Like what color were they, mom? You know what I mean? But she's 90, right? 
And so, but we can't dismiss that. I feel like that's kind of where we are are at in our world where we got to stop. Like, I mean, I can't fix my mom, but I can't say, well, my mom said it. So I'm going to say it. Or my mom thought it. So I'm going to think it. Like, I feel like we can't keep doing that. We can't keep, you know, I guess, uh, What's that called when you're doing it generationally? And we, I don't know, there's some fancy word. You know, no Becky, because Becky's super smart about those kinds of things. Becky knows all kinds of fancy words. Anyway, so we can, we have to stop doing that. We have to stop like having it be okay. And this idea of being politically correct, somewhere along the line, that became like a derogatory term. Yeah. Oh, you're all super PC. Oh, yeah. You know, like, wait, now hang yeah, on a second, you're though. You're better than me because you're right? using that. Yeah. yeah. Nope, no, that's not, you know, stop making it about you for a second. Yeah. Could it just not be about you and the fact that you have no idea what it's like to be this kind of person, this color or this gender or this sexual orientation or this whatever, you get no idea. And so you don't get to say what hurts right. or what doesn't hurt. You know, I feel like that's really where injustice is at. And, you know, when we talk about the Bible and it being, you know, filled with anti-injustice language, like I think about somewhere in the Old Testament, I should know what I don't. <laughs> Where it says you can't stand by and watch your brother or your neighbor bleed out. Like you can't just like watch someone be oppressed. You can't watch someone die. You can't watch someone get hurt. You can't watch someone be abused and do nothing. You can't do nothing. And sometimes I worry, you know, when we talk about this idea of injustice in the Bible, like, boy, these instructions were pretty clear all along and we've just not been paying attention to them. For sure. Let's see what Sean has. But Paul, he entered into Thessalonica with a new resolve. He entered this synagogue as he always had, and and he experienced, uh, like he always had, the local leaders refuting him. But there was something about the resolve in his voice that shone through. Immediately, local leaders sought him out outside of the synagogue, and Paul's courage and his conviction, it bred further courage and conviction. That courage and conviction, it was contagious. And not only did local Jews convert, but the local Jews also broke out of their prejudices, and they told local Gentiles and Greeks, pagans and prisoners, slaves and servants, this message of salvation through grace. I love that Sean uses this phrase, courage and conviction are contagious. And like, you know, in this climate, when people are starting to say things that they may, may maybe not have ever said, like like you talked about, you know, speaking to your mom and like, you're not going to change your mom. But like, if you're sitting around, you know, a place and having margaritas with your friends, right. And like one of your friends is all like, la, 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 la. Hold on. Is that another suburban mom? Yeah. Are you not out okay. drinking margaritas? No. Come on now. Are you sitting around the campfire? That I'm doing. With White Claw? Maybe. (laughs) So if you're sitting around the campfire, I'm sorry, I was way off. (laughs) Right? And like your friend, you know, is visiting and maybe you're like half friends. Like you're not all the time friends, but maybe you're half friends and your half friend like, I don't know, like starts talking gross, right? Talking hate or talking, I can't believe these people are those people. Like, do you feel like you have the courage or the conviction to say, Hey, Sally, Karen really is probably Karen. her name. Like, Hey, Karen, like, I don't, I don't think you can say that. Could you imagine yourself doing that? No. Hmm. If I'm being completely honest. Yeah. I want um, you to be honest. Yeah. And I, it goes back to that non-confrontational people pleasing place. Um, I'd say 
I might. But then, sorry, I told yeah. you to talk more and then I'm <laughs> stopping you from talking. <laughs> but you had just said that your heart breaks for yeah. people who are being hurt. I know. But then you also said that you don't want to confront or have conflict well, with people. So which one weighs more? Well, I can say right now the hurt weighs more. But in that uh, situation, it might be easier for me to just ignore, which is the wrong answer. Um, there's been a few things that have come up recently in terms of um, my story and what my authority is to um, help direct people mm. in the in the right on the right path. Um, so I think that maybe if I was met with something like that. Now I could have the confidence to to ask someone to not speak like that. But if I'm honest, in the past, I probably would have just ignored it. Can we stay in this for a second? Yeah. So I mentioned that you're on the worship team. I am. Right? And you sing like an angel, and I love <laughs> it when you sing. So, but you have to lead to be heard, I feel like. I feel like when you're, if you're not leading, unless you're Casey, because Casey does this thing where she like, like goes off book and sings all these like flourishing things. <laughs> so good. Yeah. And so, so, but if you're not leading, you do, I can't, like if when you were singing before you led, I'm like, I don't even know what Stephanie's voice sounds like. Yeah. I don't know. Then the first time you led, you're like, oh my gosh, she sounds like Natalie Grant. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so do you see yourself as in a position of, if not authority, at least a position of leadership or a position of uh, like people are watching you? Yeah. Um, that, again, is part of this new revelation that I've come to. And it's so fresh. Like the timing of this is just impeccable. Um, so fresh is in the last week. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, where I had a conversation with the staff, actually. And then um, that kind of veered off into a conversation with a, one of my close friends about my story and about um, if I keep it under wraps, if I don't share what that is, um, I am I can't share what Jesus' grace and what his mercy looks like because in everyone else's eyes, my life is perfect and I haven't had an opportunity to have- and Butterflies and rainbows. Mini vans and soccer games. Yeah. Um, so- Get me back on track because now I've lost my choo-choo. Sorry. It's gone. Um, no, you were just talking about how uh, your story, right? And if you hide your story, you don't have the chance to tell Jesus's story. Yeah. So I feel like I, um, I've i been hiding that leadership side of me because I've been hiding what my story is. And I feel like once that is out, once I'm okay talking about it and taking ownership of it because it's my story that Jesus put me on. Um, once I get to that place, then I can lead and be okay with people looking to me. Yeah, if that makes any sense. So good. <laughs> and while teaching this concept of love, Paul used a new word, agape, a word that Christians had coined to describe a love that purified you, that transformed you. And so in large meetings, small gatherings, and in one-on-one -on -one conversations, Paul and his friends were teaching the idea that followers of Jesus must outlove, outjoy, outserve, and always welcome those who are different from and who are opposed to them. Yeah, I dig this. So 
<clears throat> I wonder though, do you feel like, like if you counted the number of times that the idea of love or the word of love or the notion of love was discussed in the Bible, whether how much is how much God loves us or how much uh, we need to love him or should show how we love him or more than anything, I feel like how we should show love for our neighbor, even though it's in the book so many times, do you feel like in the church world, the notion of love or the lesson of love or the instruction of love gets kind of lost in the traditions and the religiosity and the accessories and the performances of church. Like people are like, I don't know about this love thing, but I really like when Stephanie Charney sings, right? <laughs> or I really like when the smoke machine is on, or I really like when, you know, I don't know, like when the priest does this other thing. Do you think that sometimes we lose this sight of love? in like what we're supposed to be doing daily? Yeah. Um, I think aside from all of those things that you just said, the um, kind of parade of what we do on a, oh, a Sunday Oh, that's good. Morning, I like that. Yeah. Um, I think that comes down to what I was talking about earlier with the not wanting to be confrontational and the people pleasing part of it. Yep. And we forget what love actually is. It's not saying things to make people feel good about themselves all the time. Um, and especially when you're holding yourself up to what is in the Bible, um, you can't just tell everyone that, um, do you know what I'm saying? I do. I can't get it out of my mouth. No, that's okay. <laughs> like, I, cause I, like for me, I feel like, um, it's become, there's some things in our lives that are, that have been there so much or so long or so obvious that we don't see them anymore. Yeah. And so I wonder if that's true of love in our faith communities. Like if we're like, we're just, we just take it for granted. Oh, well, of course love. But I mean, like I'm more interested in like, what are they doing with all this offering? Or I'm more interested yeah. in like, these chairs are super uncomfortable or I'm more worried about like, whatever. And like, it's all like, if you go back and read, or see what Jesus, like even when he was, even when he was confrontational, he was super confrontational. Yeah, I know. Like, and he was really good at it oh, though. Like man. he did it all butterflies and rainbows, yeah. but like, it, but the people that were, he was confronting knew that they had been had. Yeah. And so like, I think about <clears throat> like, not all Pharisees were bad, but there were some bad apples in that bunch. And so whenever they would confront him trying to trick him, so he'd say something so they could kill him. Like he always like, you know like circled back around and, and told them that, you know, listen, you say that you're loving your neighbor or you say that you're loving God, but you know, here's an example or here's a parable in the ways that you're not. And I, I don't ever want to, I can't, I can't make your faith different. Right. But I know for me, I'm not saying your faith is wrong, but it's not my job to make your faith different is what I'm saying. Yeah. But like for me, I got to love, I got to love God with all my heart, mind and soul and strength. And I've got to love my neighbor as myself. Like that's because when Jesus was asked, like, what are the two most important commandments? Because at that time in Jewish law, that when there was like 658 laws or something, I don't even like, it was like, wasn't just the 10 commandments. It was all the things like, don't eat meat from a bird who flew over the equator on the third Thursday after the fifth month. Right. Like you couldn't, like there was all these crazy yeah. things. And have so there, you, have you, I don't, I don't know what exact book that is. Oh, it's, it's in, it's right in the beginning. Yeah. It's like Deuteronomical. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's so good. 
It's oh, better in the uh, New King James Version than it is in the... Took me a long time to get through that. Yes. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> so when they asked Jesus this, he said, it could all be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God. And just as important, not even number two or one B, but like just the second half of one is love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And so if that's our commandment, I don't ever want that to be just something I, you know, become accustomed to or overlook because I take it for granted. But his efforts, they came to the attention of the two principal schools of philosophy. To the Stoics, who taught that that people should strive for a world founded on rationale and reason because they argued that your soul lived beyond your body. So what you did in this life mattered for eternity. And to their rivals, the Epicureans, who who didn't share the Stoics' belief of the soul. They, They taught that happiness or pleasure was the highest good and developed this philosophy. To eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And by the time that Paul landed on the scene, neither school of philosophy believed in making converts. They taught that a man's beliefs were his personal private business. To them, your beliefs had just become purely intellectual. So when they heard Paul's teaching, they responded in this really ugly way. They said, what's this gutter sparrow with this scrap heap learning trying to say? Like, that's busted. They were literally looking down on him because he was different. They were literally looking down on him because he wasn't Greek, because he was a Jew. And so because he wasn't Greek, as far as they were concerned, there was no way that he could know what he was talking about. So they refer to him with this really typical slang term. They literally called him a seed picker. Someone who picks up scraps from the gutter. Someone who steals other men's ideas because he's too lazy or too stupid to have his own. Someone who's picked up bits and pieces of knowledge without fully digesting them or thinking about what he thought for himself. I wish you guys could hear the grunty sounds that Steph makes. <laughs> it's so good. So good. We talked earlier about like that mistake that I've made, like the dots and feathers, right? Or we've talked about, but I wonder, are there, are there groups of people that when we're not even aware of it, that we're just dismissing out of hand or disregarding out of hand or even worse, hating out of hand because of the color of their skin or who they love or where they shop or, you know what I mean? Like, I I think for me, I remember it wasn't that long ago, I was at the Walmart with my son and I said, I hate being here, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, why do you hate being here? Because for him, he's 11, right? It's just another store. He doesn't know the difference between Target and Walmart, (laughs) right? And so I was like, it's just, just, these aren't my people is what I said. Mm. Come on. Mm. Like, what a dink. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, I've had that. I've had similar experience. And so, like, I feel like I'm dismissing a whole class of people because they don't dress like I do or wear the right shoes or, you know, have as many teeth or whatever. Right? Like, even that. Right? Even just like that, like one, like what a dinky comment. But we make that all the time because it's clever and snarky and funny. And like I, we mentioned Seinfeld, but I feel like between Seinfeld and Friends, like which were popular kind of at the same time. Yeah. Some people are Friends people. Some people are Seinfeld. Are you a Friends person? You know, I was neither. Oh, 
Yeah. Huh. Do we not allowed to watch TV or something? Uh, <laughs> no, we were. Um, my dad watched Seinfeld. Oh. But I was never into either of them. Hmm. But I feel like between the both, between how snotty Seinfeld was and how snarky Chandler and his friends were. Like we, we've normalized this idea that it's fun to make fun of other people. Yeah. And if you can out snark or out snot somebody, then you win. Yeah. Like if you can make someone laugh by how snotty you are, like somehow that's winning in our society and that's, what's got to change. I got to stop making tooth jokes or whatever jokes about the people that shop at a particular place or people that have different colored skin. Right. You know, I feel like we're all complicit in that. Do you have people that you dismiss out of hand like that? Is there anyone you just drop back? Oh no, we got to I got to roll up the windows, lock the doors or we're not stopping there. We're not stopping in this neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, do you do that? Um, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah. I'm just wondering. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. Hmm. I think maybe it's something that, is so automatic for some of us that we don't even realize that we're doing it. So I think I'd have, honestly, I'd have to really take a full assessment of myself when I'm in those situations to realize what I'm doing. Cause if I, I'm staring at you right now, you know, I just talked about how much I love people and how much, um, you know, when they hurt, I hurt, but are there situations where I make prejudgments because of class or, maybe skin color or um, just preference or the way someone lives, probably. But I think that's part of what is all coming to the surface right now in all of the conversations that are being had is we're so used to the way that we're doing things. We're so used to spitting off those mm -hmm. snarky remarks that we're not even aware that it's happening. Um, so I think it's time for us all to make that full assessment of ourselves um, and not just say, oh, no, I love everyone. I don't do that. <laughs> um, and just evaluate the things that we really, really do say. Yeah, that's good. Then he says, God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he sent a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man who he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And at that, these expert had heard enough. With that one final sentence, they shut down. I mean, if he really thought that a man could come back to life, he had just proved himself unworthy to be accredited as a teacher among the wise of the Athenians. And as soon as they heard Paul say a man had been raised from the dead, some of them started laughing. They started jeering. They started mocking. But others, they, they mockingly kind of metaphorically tapped him on the head and said, mm -hmm, okay, we'll, we'll hear you talk about this some other time. But Paul wasn't deaf to the mocks. And at that, Paul knew that they were unteachable. 
And friends, people who are unteachable, they're unreachable. So he withdrew. Athens had rejected him and his teaching. He'd dust off his sandals and move on to the next port. Sean's talking here about uh, being uh, teachable or unteachable. I'm wondering, Steph, like what, can I say Steph? Is that a thing? Yeah, everyone calls me Steph, my close friends. <gasps> Am I a close friend? Can I, I be a close friend? Now you are. Oh, nice. <laughs> so what experience have you had with unteachable people? Like, I know this feels like a job interview right now. It does. It really does. Yeah. How can I spin this to make it a positive? Ah. <laughs> uh, you know. Like you mentioned your mom, right? So, like, I feel like that's an unteachable oh, thing. mom. Yeah. It's hard to imagine your mom is anything but sweet. I mean, you're like, mm. yeah, you're like a gumdrop. So, it's hard to imagine, <laughs> you know, that your mom She's is. She's feisty. Is she? She's little and feisty. Oh. Like a, like a, like a, like a red hot chewy sugar thing? Because sometimes they, they have that. Don't they have like super sour ones or super cinnamon ones? cinnamon Is that it? <laughs> it might <Is> be. That- <laughs> anyway, so we talked about your mom being cinnamon I think that was it. I think I just said it. You did it. Yeah. Anyway, and like maybe unteachable, but like, like, is that a thing in your world? Um, I... <laughs> I can think of a friend specifically um, when we're talking about changing your life a little bit and being open to the Jesus thing. Mm. Um, I have a friend who I've been friends with for years. And um, anytime we kind of go there and I start down that path of, well, um, you know, just any anytime that I start speaking about the way that Jesus has changed my life and the way that Jesus has changed my marriage. And um, anytime I start heading down that path, she shuts down mm-hmm. um, and doesn't want to have that conversation. Um, specifically when we're talking about marriage, I mean, it's, it's just a piece of paper to me, mm-hmm. you know, and that, oh, it just kills me because... Yeah. Um, up until this point, again, this is circling all back. Um, I haven't thought that I was in a place where I could really teach her those things. Mm-hmm. Or if it, I didn't, I didn't think that it was really my place to kind of press. Um, but Jesus is opening my eyes, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. And it is my place to press. So, I mean, for her, that's that's one specific example that I have of somebody being unteachable in my life. I feel like as Jesus people, somewhere along the line, we have got this idea that we don't have authority or we shouldn't have confidence or we shouldn't be compelled because we weren't qualified. Yeah. I think we get confused a lot of times with um, being humble um, and maybe take it to the extreme and just kind of pull ourselves together in our little clam shell or our little crab shell. Right. Um, because we want to be perceived as humble. Um, but there's a fine line there between. Yeah. yeah. But he never says, he says, but first he says the love and love thing. Yeah. But then he also says, go right. You know, into the nations. Yeah. Right. I missed that part. Yep. And he never, he never says, and do it meekly. Like if you could kind of do it sort of halfway or secret or trick them or, you know, whatever. He never says that. He never says do it quietly. 
Yeah. In fact, he says, do it boldly. Be a light like a city on a hill, right? Lead by your example. And not always like, certainly, I don't think, like condemn them or convict them or judge them. Right. But more saying, look, this is where, because I think about one of the things that are, that's appealing about Life Church for a lot of people is that leadership here, in particular, Sean, is very authentic and transparent about like not only who he was, right? He's a convicted criminal, right? He's spent time in the big house. I don't know. <laughs> is that what the kids say? I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> right. But you know, but he leads from this place. But even like last week, I was a really crappy dad because of this, right? Like so for us to wait until we're qualified that we could share what Jesus has done in our life with our friends because we feel like, what do I know? Like, I don't even know in Deuteronomical where it says the thing about the meat of a bird that's flew over the equator. And like, if I don't know that, then I'm not qualified to tell anyone who Jesus is. But in fact, like you had said, if you feel like Jesus has made a difference in your life, made a difference in who you are as a mom and who you are as a wife, that's, I mean, that's all the, that's all the credentials you need. And I feel like sometimes as Christians, we don't feel like we've got the credentials when in fact, we've got all the credentials we need. 100%. Right. I don't need to know what it says in Job, right. Or Deuteronomical, <laughs> right. I don't need to know that to know who Jesus is and who he can be for you. Right. And so we have to stop being meek about that. And so if, you know, we're, we're talking about teachable and unteachable, it's a whole different bailiwick when don't make that face. It's a word. <laughs> It's a word, Steph. Is it? Yeah. It's a whole different bailiwick. Hang on. I'm just going to look it up right now. Bailiwick? Bailiwick. 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 Nope. Uh, Bailiwick. B-A-I-L-I-W-I-C-K. One sphere of operations or particular area of interest. The district or jurisdiction. Steph laughs at people a lot. For some reason, I just love people. I just don't want to hurt them, and I want them to feel like loved and everything. Unless it's Scott, and then I'm just going to laugh my butt off at him. The district or jurisdiction of a bailey or a bailiff. So, like within your so your bailiwick is like your sphere of influence. Influence. Got it. Including this friend. So, like, I just feel like. I don't even remember what I was saying now because I said bailiwick and you were like, bailiwick's not even a word, stupid. I didn't say that no. for the record. Yeah. You laughed it though. I laugh at everything. Yeah. Where'd you go to college? I didn't. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Huh. Well, then don't talk to me huh. about bailiwick then. Yeah. I got married instead. <laughs> I didn't mean to make fun of you now. I feel really bad. That's that I... right. So you got married right out of high school? No. <laughs> I went to college um, for like a semester. Oh, where'd you go? TC. <gasps> nice. What did you study there? I went to TC. Gen Eds. Oh, nice. Yeah. Because uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. And then you met your husband at NWTC? Uh, no, I did not. Oh. I met him through a family friend. Gotcha. Yeah. And um, I don't I don't really know what happened. That was a long time ago. Hmm. And I just decided I didn't want to go to school anymore. So how did you get to be a bookkeeper-ish? Uh, ish. Um, I worked at for a trucking company mm. for nine years. Um, started at the bottom and, you know, worked my way up. Where's the bottom of a trucking company? Customer service. Gotcha. Yeah. Rough. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I got all of my experience there, made my way to the finance department and wow. then I ended up here. <laughs> Lucky you. 
<laughs> all right, let's hear what's next. And that was all because Paul determined he would become all things to all people that by all means he may win some. Or I like how the New Living Translation words it. Paul says, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And I wonder, what if you did that? Sean alludes to here about uh, Paul making um, the statement that uh, he has become all things to all people uh, so that even one can be saved. And so, you know, I feel like this is right in your lane, Steph. Like, I feel like this this desire that you have, this thing that wrote that God wrote on your heart to be loving and inclusive and edifying, you know, to, to everyone so they don't feel like they're left out or misplaced or misfits. Like, that's kind of what, what Paul's saying. It's like, I've tried to be everything to everyone so that even one may be saved. Yeah. And so what I wonder, though, is... Um, is that because Sean also talks about agape, you know, being a at that point a recently coined term of loving um, purely, loving you know, without regard to romance or without regard to eros or anything else, where it's just like love for love's sake, right? And so when you talk about your friend or you talk about other people where you should try to be everything for everyone. Like, I wonder, like, what does that look like? And why are you smirking at me right now? <laughs> She's got a face, you guys. I'm going to videotaping this because it would just be Steph just grinning. Anyway. I'm just happy. All right. She is happy. She's a gumdrop. I'm not kidding about the gumdrop. Anyway, so... Like, what can that look like? As people of faith, what can that look like? What can agape look like? What can being everything to everyone so that even one can be saved? What can that look like? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, this is that part that um, was just really made aware to me, like I said last week. This is a really important podcast oh, in man. your life. It really is. I, I can't believe that all of these things are just tying together. So, yeah. well, I mean, I, I should. Right. Right. He's funny that way. I always, he's always cracking jokes at me. Um, but for me, it's that part of not telling my whole story to everyone. Um, that leaves out a whole group of people, right? So I lived with my now husband before we were married. And a lot of people do. And a lot of people do. And a lot of people don't know that about me because if I just met you in the church lobby or, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't start with that. I just say, oh yeah, we've been married for nine years and we're super happy and butterflies and rainbows. Um, and I, I think not letting people know that part of my story and not letting them know that that's a place that Jesus worked in me and in my husband, um, it's not doing any justice for him. Yeah, I dig that. And let me tell you why, because, <clears throat> and again, I feel like that's one of the appeals of life church is that you can come that way growing up. You, whereas you hardly went to church. Like I was always in church. Yeah. My, my, my dad was evangelical. My mom was Catholic. And so like we would sometimes go to two churches on Sunday. And so we were always in church. And so, but it always felt like I was never going to be good enough to be part of the church. 
because I knew what I was thinking or I knew what I had done or I knew whatever, right? And I assumed that it, because everyone else was here and wearing those clothes or, you know, whatever, that they must not be thinking those things or I've done those things. And so, you know, what am I even doing? I'm wasting my time here. But if I'd ever found out that Joe, whatever, or Sally, whatever, that they had done something like pff, hypocrites. Yeah. And so I feel like being open about who we were and how Christ has changed us does more for the kingdom and more for those people than trying to hide the things that we've done that have been wrong. Yeah. You know, like I definitely don't think we should be like, you know, parting up and, you know, having like a bunch of like weird stuff. Right. But I, I definitely don't think that, but I definitely think that we should own our shortcomings, whether they were a long time ago or whether they were last week. Yeah. Because that adds to the grace of God and the, and the open arms of God. Like God's like, listen, I don't care what you think you've done or who you think you are. You're welcome here. And together we'll change that. You don't have the ability to change that yourself, but in me, we'll change all that. Yep. You know, and it sounds like that's your testimony, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And I spent a lot of time um, trying to be perfect after coming to know Jesus, um, thinking that that was what he wanted me to do. And now I'm just starting to realize that that's not the point. No, no. Like we're like, I need to repent from the crap, but like, I'm never going to win. I'm yeah. never going to finish. You know, I'm going to say stupid stuff like dots and feathers or Walmart teeth, right? I'm going to say, you know, and you might, you might, if you're listening, you might think, well, pff, that's some big deal. It's not like you got drunk, but I'm telling you, it is a big deal Right. that, you know, to God, all those things, anything that's ugly or goes against what God wants for us or anything that God wouldn't do falls short of the glory of God and then is a sin. And so that includes being mean to people or classifying people or racifying people wasn't the right word, yeah. like being racist against people looking down your nose at political correctness, right? Looking down your nose at anybody or anything. Like you can't look down your own nose at yourself. I get that. I guess I can because I have a big belly. So, but like, I feel like, I feel like that's the, that's the only thing that we're qualified to look down at as ourselves. And we shouldn't even do that because we're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God, Right. I always say this name, George Floyd was named, was made in the image of God, yeah. right? The people at Walmart, the lady with those crazy pants and the bad hair or whatever, whatever that I'm going to say that's all super made in the image of God. If I think the image of God just looks like me, I've got it wrong. Right. And I hate that. Like, I hate that about our world because we think if they don't look like us or dress like us or act like us, they're less than us. And I mean, that's, that's what, that's where it all started, right? Like when. When Jews were persecuted, they were less than human. When blacks were persecuted and are persecuted, because they're less than human. And even though they get the full right to vote, we still look at them as though they're less than. Yeah. Well, look at the places that they live. Look at the jobs that they have. Look at that. Listen, we created the system that did that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I get all wound up about that part. But I feel like, you know, this idea of agape or loving for love's sake, we can do that. We can do that. And regardless of how awkward it might feel or uncomfortable it might make us or how we think we might be putting ourselves out there, we're called to put ourselves out there 
in the name of Jesus, right? And if we, if all we're doing is loving, if we're not judging in the name of Jesus or condemning in the name of Jesus, you know, if we're not, if we're loving in the name of Jesus, there's no wrong answer there. And if people get offended, if our friends leave us because of that, I mean, it's like what's happening on Facebook. Listen, if you're mad that I'm mad at racism, you might as well just go on and get, yeah, right? Because I, I mean, I don't know that we were really friends anyway. And so if, if people can, if people look down their noses at me because I love the way Jesus told me to love, all right, man, that's okay. Yeah. So anyway, Steph, thanks for being here. I enjoyed our conversation (laughs) very much. I think it was great. Listen, if you enjoyed this podcast, let me ensure, uh, uh, um, invite you, uh, to share it with friends. I was saying invite and share at the same time. That's how I got to insure, which is, uh, I think a drink you take when you can't poop or something. Is that what insure is? I know you take it if you poop too much. Oh, gotcha. Right. Anyway. So let me invite you to share, um, uh, this podcast with friends or subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for being here. We'll see you super over next time. Come back again, Steph. I'd like it a lot. I'd love to be here again. Okay. See you. Bye.